Welcome back to Overtired. I'm Christina Warren. And I'm Brett Terpstra. And uh, it's been a minute since we've done this. It has. How have you been? I've been real good. It's uh, I, I so it's like it was right at like three months, I think, because we recorded our episode right before I left New York for my new job and my new life in Seattle. And now I've been here just a little over three months. So I, I've been good, but it's you know life is definitely different um, than it was. You know, it's it's uh, it's good, but it's also you know changes. Change can be tough sometimes. So, and sure. especially when a lot of change happens at once. If uh, if we had recorded every week since you left, this would be episode like ninety eight, I think. Yeah. <laughs> ninety nine. Yeah. Ninety nine. That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to think I've been away from New York that long. Like it still feels like just yesterday, and it, but it's been you know like like three months. So. And instead, this is episode seventy one, and my first question is, how's the new gig? It's good. You know, it's very different. What I'm doing is, is very different than what I used to do. Um, but there are some er- some sometimes where what I do is not that different. Like it's it's a weird sort of thing. Like the the role itself is obviously, you know, it, 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 I'm a PM um, uh, for um, an online um, uh, learning product. And so that's obviously very different from being, you know, a, a writer or an editor for a tech news publication. But there are certain things that you do you know, when it comes to things like content strategy and planning, you know, around content and, and figuring out like what sorts of stuff needs to be created and maybe how can stuff get more visibility and things like that, that are honestly not that different uh, from what I used to do, like the the, the mechanics itself, um, even if the content and, you know, the audience and the um, the platform are different. So as a writer, did you ever have a management role? Sometimes. Um, I, I was an editor uh, of a section and I, I was always kind of considered, you know, somebody who would have more authority in um, not just hiring decisions, although I was usually brought in to interview, you know, people um, and would kind of give my or nay opinion and whether or not that was brought into consideration. I don't really know when I was when I was had a section, I obviously had, you know, hiring stuff there. But um it would be more like project based. So if I was in charge of, you know, certain types of events or certain types of coverage or certain other things, like it would kind of be like, all right, I'm running the planning meeting. I'm running, you know, the, um, uh, kind of the overseeing how like Apple events, for instance, I would usually run the planning on that and kind of say, this is our approach. This is what we're going to do. This is how many stories we are going to plan around. We can anticipate at least these stories. We should be on deck to write these additional that might come out, look at these things or follow up, try to get these things out on totally time. PM. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's kind of what I've learned, right. Is that, is that that is kind of a similar thing. And, and, um, and, and that's been sort of an interesting thing because in my mind, I didn't really think that what I was doing would have, um, been like, Pertinent. applicable right and, <laughs> yeah. and but, it, but it has been you know and, and that's but that's been really interesting I kind of want to write a medium article or maybe for my own personal blog about like how being a journalist like made me good enough you know or not good enough but I guess like you know maybe qualified to work at a tech company because I think that media right now just since we've recorded so that was like May 14th um there have been a lot of layoffs media is in a really fucked up place right now and and a lot of good publications you know mike just recently the most recent one who's who's laid people off um you know this this almighty pivot to video thing that's happening and 
and and there's a there's been a lot of kind of really good people you know getting let go and and people kind of like trying to figure out what the next thing is and so I've actually had what's been interesting about moving to the new role as I've had a quite a number of of current journalists reach out to me and say hey I'm kind of investigating a similar move what can you tell me or I would be open to doing something different but I don't know if I have the skills to do it. And so I kind of want to write something about being like, hey, the, the skills that you get being a journalist and doing that sort of stuff are actually applicable in a lot more fields than you might originally think. You can write a guest I, post on my blog. I mean, it's not Giz, but it gets decent traffic and yeah. it would be awesome. Okay, I'll I say that, that half jokingly, but you are totally welcome to. It would be pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, no, I would do it for sure. Uh, if I could cross post on my own thing too, that would be awesome. Oh, for but sure. yeah, but like I, yeah, cause I, I bet it, cause I feel like, I mean, it, it is kind of an interesting thing. Like, you know, this cause you've had many careers, like you've done a lot of different things and I think you probably are, are more attuned to how, um, transferable your skills are than a lot of other people are. But I know for me, I'd always kind of thought of myself in a certain box, like, okay, well I can be the writer or the editor, but like you said, you know, planning coverage around stuff. I mean, that is PM work. That is that is, that is, that, that, that's what that is, you know, and you just call it by a different name, you know, and, 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 um, you know, relationship building, um, with sources and with companies and with, you know, other, um, people is not any different than relationship building with, you know, people within your organization, you know, like yeah. a lot of those things transfer much, um, easier than you would think. For sure. So, I only I know I know how it is with Google and I know how it is with Apple. I'm curious, uh, without getting yourself in any trouble, at Microsoft, how encouraged slash required are you to kind of become part of the Microsoft ecosystem as far as the tools they provide? I mean, it really depends on the team. So like I use a Surface Book, but my colleague has a Mac and some of the teams um, are all in on using Macs, although I think they also use, you know, Microsoft stuff too. Um, I mean, at this point, you know, obviously there are certain apps kind of internally on like the corporate network that really only work well on Internet Explorer or Edge. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cross platform. I mean, the thing is, is that even if you use a Mac, you can use Outlook and you can use Skype and you can use SharePoint and, and all the online tools, you know, Visual Studio Code sure. and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, like you, you know, you see Apple watches everywhere. You see iPhones and Android phones everywhere. Uh, I mean, I think at this point, you know, the, the, the company's mission is basically just to kind of, you know, use use the right products for what the right job is. And for the most part, most of the tools that are that are built are, are cross platform. I mean, obviously, you know, some things like Visual Studio, you know, is, is a Windows program. Um, but if you're if you're, you know, a, a certain type of developer, you might not use Visual Studio as your IDE. You might use something else. So, um I don't know. It, it, it varies. I mean, most people in my building, in my department, you know, use Windows machines. And like I said, I use a Surface Book at work. But, it, you know, my, my, but my colleague um, who had previously been on another team, she has a Mac and it's not a big deal. Well, sure, because Microsoft, all, most of their big apps other than Windows itself are available on Mac. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and the kind of as you move to more cloud based things, you know, if, if you're an Azure person or whatnot, it doesn't really matter, you know, what you're working on. So. What about services? Um, do you have to have a, a Microsoft email address? Oh, yeah. Yeah, what yeah, are yeah, yeah. Did they have some equivalent to Google Plus? Didn't they have like uh, some attempted? 
Uh, well, there's Yammer, but that that, that was acquired, right. and but that was a separate thing. And 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 then there's Teams, which is similar to Slack. So rather than using Slack, you use Teams. Um, it depending on what team uses it. And then there's you know internally you use like Skype for Business, which used to be called Link. And uh, but yeah, I mean you know you all have kind of your internal stuff. Oh, that's right. They own Skype. Yeah, I'm yeah, using so Microsoft right now. Exactly. And I mean, you know, you use Skype all the time, you know, for, for messaging and for, for phone calls. And, and the Skype business edition is actually pretty good. Like it gives you features that the consumer version doesn't like call recording or meeting recording and stuff. And and um, so that's not bad. Does it include um, reliable calls? For the most part? Yeah. I mean, the, there's always the, the irony is like, you know, um, in some of the buildings, you know, you you have all these meeting rooms and sometimes some of them are like on the bleeding edge of, of trying out the different networking stuff and the different like, you know, meeting stuff. <laughs> and so some some work better than others. But that's I, I've never found a company where you could reliably use, you know, the conference calling system everywhere, like no matter where I've been. That's that's always been kind of one of those things. It's more reliable at Microsoft than it's been anywhere else that I've been. So, um <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, but it's one of those things where, you know, you'll see sometimes people I get like, you know, I'm sure some people do use Dropbox at work, but that's not really not encouraged, like, because you have OneDrive. Um, and, uh, but I, you know, if, if, if you wanted to connect to your own Dropbox or use something for that reason, like, wouldn't be like anybody would be like, no, you can't do that. It would just, it just makes more sense to, to use OneDrive since the version that we get as employees, you know, as part of the enterprise plan or whatever has like a five terabyte capacity. Sure. So like, what am I using my Dropbox for? Sure. You know, especially if it's work related. Like, I, I don't want to kind of mix my personal and my and my business anyway. Other so. than so few iOS apps have OneDrive support. Yeah, that's true. Although I think that's that's a changing, and it's becoming interesting now with iOS 11 having the Files app, which um, has hooks for both Dropbox and Outlook and Google actually. So all of those services can be accessed True. within the files app which is interesting and then because then you can kind of copy and paste back and forth and you, you know, know what else the files app has was that tagging does it it syncs tags now with mac os heck yeah that's, that's awesome huge. Um, one thing i will say though like and i actually used it before i even came to microsoft and and then we can get off this topic and i can stop being like a, a, a fanboy um or maybe get myself in trouble because i don't want to do either of those things um but the outlook app for ios yeah is seriously amazing really like it's it's the, it's a better gmail app than the gmail app really yeah i mean like even if you just use it as a gmail client or as an imap client to Has me it it's changed had, yeah just i mean like the ios version of it i guess would be yeah so what what it was is that they bought a company called accompli and accompli had a really good mailback uh, had a really good inbox app and they bought accompli and rebranded that as outlook for ios and then they've integrated Sunrise, which was the calendar sure, app, yeah. into it. And now, some people don't like having their calendar and, and, and their mail in the same app. And I can understand that. For me, especially for work, I actually really, really like having it in one place because you get like I get tons of meeting requests a day because now that I work in corporate America, I go to a lot of meetings. And so, um, you know, like I'm constantly in my inbox, you know, accepting stuff. And it's really easy to just literally have one button away from viewing my calendar to see what's upcoming to schedule stuff, to add things, you know, to see that sort of stuff, as well as like the search is really good. Um, you know, I, I really, really, really like um, Outlook for iOS. Even if you aren't using it with an Outlook account, if you used it with IMAP or with, or with Google, I think it's really, really good. And it, it also will connect to your files. And what's nice about its files connection, it'll obviously work with like OneDrive and OneDrive for business, but it also works with Box and Dropbox and Google Drive. 
So, mm-hmm. so it's it's a it's a really full fledged like it's a really good app. So I might, I might have to check that out. You should check it out. Like as a, as a person, like I think you, I would be interested in your feedback because I'd actually written like well before I'd ever, um, you know, joined or even thought that I was going to <laughs> join. You know, I I um like wrote like best replacement apps, you know, for the, for the defaults and outlook was my, was my pick because in my opinion, I don't like the Gmail app for iOS. I just, I never yeah. have. And, um, I, I think that outlook, at least for the way I work is, is far superior, but it's better than the mail app because mail app, if you've got a ton of messages and a ton of different accounts and folders, it's so slow. Uh, it is. Have you, you ever know, tried, um, spark from Riedel? I have. And I like that too. I like that too. Um, you know, now that I'm on a corporate thing, I think I could probably use it with it, but like, there's no reason. And and I'm on like the, you know, I use like, like the, the, the dog fooded version um, of the app that, that um, they put out. But yeah, they, they try to, I think the Outlook team puts out an update for the iOS app, like every week on the, you know, um, right. I will so. absolutely check it out. Yeah. So last Our- question before this stops being an interview. Yes. Do you like Seattle? I do like Seattle. I miss New York a lot. Um, and I miss my friends. Yeah, I miss New York and I miss my friends. But, you know, it's amazing. Now that I'm actually in Seattle proper and I'm not in Bellevue, so for the first two months we were in corporate housing, and which was very nice. And the, the apartment we were in was great. Um, but it's more suburban and it's like where all the rich people live and have like their, you know, Teslas and, and, and whatnot. Like I've never seen more Teslas in my entire life than in freaking Bellevue and Redmond area. But like the East side, um, that that's what, how it's known. Like there's the East side and the West side, you know, it's more suburban and it's more like, you know, this is kind of where you go if you want like a family or, you know, you have, you know, property and you kind of settle down and, and even though like age wise, maybe that's where I should be. That's not how I feel emotionally or like where I am in my life. And, and that's, you know, we're not having kids. So it's not really doesn't really fit with with our lifestyle. So we moved to Capitol Hill, which is a neighborhood in Seattle. And um, Capitol Hill is awesome. It's the equivalent of like Williamsburg in New York. Cool. Yeah. Um, really cool, really hip, really gay friendly. Um, lots of bars and restaurants and cafes all over the place. Um you know, really close to everything. It's um, not far from downtown at all. Like it's really nice. So, um, I like being in the city. I have a great view of the city. My apartment's awesome. Um, like I said, I do miss New York, but I'm getting more and more used to Seattle. And like, I kind of do kind of like the, what's nice is like, you can actually drive out and, and, you know, you can go into the mountains and you can go to the coast and like, there's, or there's, you know, like nature and that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like I like Seattle better than New York. I have I have not lived in Seattle. I have lived in New York. Um, I always felt more at home on the West Coast in general, and especially the Northern West Coast. Yeah, yeah. There's something about this area I think that like I that, that is really cool. Like I can see why how how you totally like this area. <laughs> how <a> or Minnesotan. <laughs> Well, no, but just your personality. I can see how you would really be at home in Seattle, or frankly, Portland. I think you in Portland would be like. Yeah, really honestly, Portland's more me, and that's weird. Uh, okay, Portland was more me 15 years ago. I haven't been there since. I've heard it's gotten way more hipster than I could imagine, which yeah, might not be me these days. Although, well, I am wearing skinny jeans right now. I was I was going to say, that's a great segue. <laughs> Actually, you know what the segue's going to be? I, speaking of Tesla's, I went to Chicago last weekend and uh, and hung out with uh, Dave Chartier and yeah. Dan Peterson from Agile. And we went to my first Comic-Con, 
actually it was wizard world which is a smaller comic con yeah but that's awesome to me it was like overwhelmingly huge uh i, I saw when we were out on any street i would see a tesla no fewer than 10 minutes apart it was just a constant stream of model s's driving by yeah no it's crazy how common they're they're becoming in in certain areas like you would see them in New York, but it's always hard to tell in New York because there's so much traffic and there's yeah. so much congestion. And honestly, that's like a bad place to own a Tesla because you probably don't have a charging station nearby. And if you have a house or a place that's nice enough, you know, to have your own garage and whatnot, like, I don't know, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Whereas, you know, Chicago makes more sense. And in this area, it's crazy. Like the, the apartment we were in when we were in corporate housing, was really close to Microsoft's campus and it was a very new apartment complex and that apartment complex had a number of electric car spots that like had charging stations built in where people, you know, would park with their Teslas or their Kias or their like whatever electric thing they had and like charge them. It's really funny because, and and on campus, like there are always like electric charging spots, like in, in, in all the parking garages, you know, where people can, can park and, and charge their cars. It's, it's funny, but yeah, you, you see them all over the place and I'm like, there, I, this is just okay. <laughs> I, so currently, like the, the Model S is said to go, I think they claim 300 miles per charge, but yeah. uh, reports are that it actually gets more like 220, at least in Minnesota type weather. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. Still though, I would think you could get to work and back on a charge, no problem. In oh, New York without even. a doubt. In New York, even yeah, I mean, I think that people just have the charging stations, just you know, to to do quick pop ups or whatnot, yeah. or maybe you, or, or or frankly, I mean, I think more realistically would be, for some people, if you have it at work, for the eight hours or, or ten hours or whatever it is you're in the office, that charge you might have more time to charge your car at work than you do when you're at your house. Can you imagine instead of uh, you know those guys that run up and wash your windshield and then try to charge you while you're sitting at a stoplight, if they had like backpack battery packs <laughs> and they would run yeah. up and just charge your car real quick uh, and then be like five bucks. I love it. No, that was actually, that. that's not a bad idea. Well, that, I feel like that it's the sh- future. I, I think that you're right. I think that we're going to see like some future version of like a Blade Runner type of film. Yeah. And that's going to be like that. The, that's going to be like the image, right? Is is, is that you're going to have the, the, the chargers, uh, you know, uh, people coming up to you and probably not just for your car. Right. Like, I mean, I could even see it for your phone. I mean, you've already see it at like airports and other places where people will have like charging stations. I haven't yet see it go to where like people charge. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, if I were at an airport and I hate the airport, like because they, they you know, rip you off on everything. I don't want to give the airline industry any more ammo to do terrible things to its passengers. However, its customers, really. But if an airport was like, pay $10 and get your phone charged before you board your flight, I would probably pay. So, you know, like if if there wasn't a place for me to to plug in otherwise. I I have to tell you an airport story now. Okay. Um, I flew down to... uh, I flew into SFO to go to Santa Clara for the Command D conference. Um, in the process, I I had a chance to hang out at MSP in Minneapolis, and that airport is. I don't know if you've spent any significant time there, but it is my favorite I've been, airport. I've in been the in country. it. 
I've, I've been in it, but I, I, I've never spent like, I mean, I don't think I had a layover or anything. I think it was just, you know, a connecting flight. I don't think I've spent significant. I, I do remember the bathrooms being very clean. Oh, man. Well, so in gate F and I've actually written a whole post on my blog about gate F bathrooms. Um, but look, concourse F the, the bathrooms there are perhaps the best designed airport bathrooms I have ever been in. Like every stall, the walls go all the way to the ground. The door closes completely. Like you have absolute privacy. The way the sinks, the dryers, and the urinals are kind of laid out, it's not like it prevents all congestion. There's a drying machine or paper towel stack next to every single sink. It's amazing. Um, And then gate G, uh, which is where the Delta flights to... Uh, San Francisco always take off um, that the entire waiting area is booth seating there's no like rows of chairs it's all booth seating and every booth has a set of USB ports and an iPad that you can use like free apps on oh that's really in, like, nice kiosk mode yeah and and like two three prong outlets in every booth and yeah. Yeah, that's really nice. So, <laughs> so, so, so the JetBlue terminal in JFK is like that, but not the whole airport. Like that sounds just sublime. Well, and like I said, this is right now. This is just specific concourses and gates. But um, then I was in San Francisco and I had two flight delays. It was a day like Delta. Just in fact, I didn't even make it home that night. I had to spend a night in Minneapolis. Um, but so I had like five hours to kill at SFO, and that is not mm-hmm. my favorite airport to spend. No, hours there's in. not a. The, you would <laughs> it's think like a that hallway. being it is like, and, and you would think that being like a tech connected airport, like that it would be better than it is. It's yeah, really not. It really isn't. Um, so I, I they caved. don't have a lot there. Yeah, I caved and used some miles and a few dollars to just get into the Sky Club. Uh huh. I have yep. never before gone into the Delta Sky Club. It's nice. It is as big as SFO. You get up to the second level and you realize Delta owns like half the length of the airport on the second level. Yeah, yeah basically. I free didn't know that I've never been to SFO. Free Wi-Fi. Booze. Huge seating uh, with like armchairs and your own little like single booths. And um, and it's full of really rich people. And I went in there with like, I had good clothes on, uh, but I was wearing my, my walking shoes which are like this big, ugly pair of like black New Balance tennis shoes. <laughs> and I felt very, I've never felt so conspicuous before. Yeah, no, I, I've only been in the Sky Club a couple of times because I don't have the the status or whatever to get into that. And uh, but, but if I've been traveling with people who do, you know, I've gone in. And yeah, I, there's nothing that makes you feel, and usually I don't feel that inconspicuous, although sometimes I kind of dress, you know, whatever. But like, yeah, there's there's just a certain thing where I'm like, you're you are you and I am me and then I look at it I'm like but wait a minute I'm okay fine yeah fine (laughs) I concede um the the beauty of it was I had I had used miles to upgrade my flight seat to their new comfort plus which I will say up front the only benefit to it is free booze after that it's a it's a crap seat yeah Um, I agree with that but I had used those miles, and then when they postponed my flight and they rebooked me, automatically I had lost. I went from like comfort plus to seat like thirty-five, uh, row thirty-five, and I I like tweeted a complaint and didn't get any response and everything, because Delta is actually usually pretty good about 
Yeah, they usually DM, are pretty good about the DM customer yeah. service. But uh, yeah. So as I get bored and end up like getting finding my way into the Sky Club, I realize they have us like a uh, concierge with full access to booking, uh, booking, and like everyone there gets special treatment, and I never realized this, but I told him my dilemma, and he he pulled all the strings to to make sure that I had basically the same flight with better seating and even I think he looked at me funny when I was like I just want comfort plus I, <laughs> I don't know that anyone in that lounge in that comfort plus, but. yeah I know he, he's, he's like <laughs> are you sure you wouldn't like business or or you know Do you, whatever the look I got was are you sure you belong here <laughs> I'm like hey I have the ticket right here um but yeah, that was that was a weird experience, and also this entire story is not on my list of things to talk about. So we can move on anytime. No, I mean, but that but that is so funny how like there are like the the very distinct like two or three tiered levels of class of passengers, <laughs> yes. and it's like all you have to do is like pay the hundred bucks or whatever it is to get into the Sky Lounge, and all your problems can go away. Right. I always want to ask those people uh, if they're jealous of people with private jets, though, because I feel like. Oh, I bet they are. I feel like for them, people with private jets look like, for me, like I got an yeah. exit row, but I have to watch the people in first class. Well, plus when I do fly first class, I always feel really bad because, you know, all the economy passengers have to walk through first class <laughs> yeah. after yeah. you've gotten your seat and they've already served you your drink. And then they have to go back into the little cattle herd back there. And I always want to like just hug them as they go by, but... You're a better person than me because I usually just don't care. I'm just like I've paid for my ticket. I'm 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 please give me my booze. <laughs> I rarely, usually my first class ticket is is paid for. Um, I only a couple times in my life have ever, and it's been when they're like for a hundred dollars you can fly. Yeah, same. And I'll do that, but a hundred dollars doesn't give me a sense of superiority. No, same, same. It's just if if, if, if I've had a but but I, and it's usually only a hundred dollars if you paid the full fare price though, which most people don't pay full fare prices, so it all worked out. But anyway, before before we uh, moved on to to air uh, to travel talk and other and 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 talk about your your conventions and the Teslas and stuff, uh, you had mentioned that you're wearing skinny jeans. Oh yeah, so. We'll start with my health corner, I guess. Yeah, uh, let's start with Brett, Brett's health corner, and then we're going to go to a special edition of Christina's health corner. Exactly. Uh, like, my mental health, pretty stable. Things haven't changed a lot in all the time you've been gone. Um, but I have continued to lose weight, and I got um, my first... I got two pairs of 30-inch waist jeans. And, well, actually, I started... I got a 32, because I hadn't fit into a 32 since I was in my 20s. So I got a 32 and immediately realized that was too big for me now. Uh, so I went ahead and just ordered two pairs of 30s. And one of them being a, a I think that they're not the super skinny jeans. They don't look crazy. They're just slightly thinner than a straight leg jean. But still, like I've worn boot cut my whole life. And I haven't been a size 30 since I was maybe 19. And honestly, I think I could probably fit into a 28 right now, but I'm not gonna because I want to save that. I need I need something to shoot for in a couple months. That's um, awesome. But yeah, I'm I'm thin. My the love handles are gone. My face is like I have my whole chin back. I am doing quite well. 
Are you still doing the yoga? Yes. Daily now. Oh, man. And I can do some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can do um, arm balance with eagle legs. I posted a picture of that to uh, Instagram and probably Twitter because I was super proud of it. But like it's so you're you're on your wrists and your elbows doing a, a handstand kind of except for on your elbows instead of your hands. And then your legs wrap knee over knee and your ankles cross back over. So it's like a full Twizzler <laughs> that's while, awesome. while you're upside down. And Good for you, man. I have to say that's not just a matter of flexibility. It's a matter of engineering for guys because guys can't cross their legs that way due to anatomical differences, um, extra appendages, if you will. And uh, when you're upside down and you're balancing on your hands, you don't have a hand to adjust and help that process. So (laughs) the biggest, biggest challenge for me to get that pose down was to figure out how to get up there and keep everything in the right place so that I could pull off that leg move. Turns out, as a tip to anyone trying, wear loose underwear. The instinct is to wear like tighter, more supportive underwear. Wear loose underwear so that a slight jiggle can move things for you. Okay. Handy yoga tips from Overtired. (laughs) There's all kinds of yoga places in my neighborhood. I I really need to, like, I just, I don't know if I ever want to get up early enough to do it, but I I should start taking yoga. (laughs) It is, like, most places offer evening classes, and a lot of people prefer prefer them. I've never figured out why. Uh, yoga for me with my ADHD, it is such a, uh, it's so good for my brain. I can't imagine wanting to do it after I'm done working. Yeah, that's a good point. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm a morning person in general, so that works for me. It was Saturday today and I got up at 5.30. Yeah, I was up at like 7, I think. Um, but I was in bed until like you know, closer to nine. Uh, to be fair, I got up at 5.30. I went back to sleep until 6.30. Um, or I went back to bed. I kind of like read the news and everything. Which for some reason, I think that's why I'm a morning person. Because the first thing I do when I wake up is I read the news. And these days that always just, oh, there's yeah, no way no, I go back to sleep after that. So so let me talk about this real quick before we move into, so we'll talk about your health corner thing. Because I, I want your perspective because you are on the central time zone. Yeah. And I used to be on the East Coast, and now I'm on the West Coast. And I'm, I've gotten used to the, the time zone difference for the most part, right? Like, it's been three months, you should, and, and people are like, what do you mean you're basically used to it? Here's the hard thing. Like, my body's adjusted and all of that for the most part. Although I think that, like, from, you know, living 30-plus years, for the most part, on East Coast time has kind of, you know, ingrained in it a certain sense of, like, this is the, these are the hours, right? That will take longer than a couple of months to completely go away. But the big thing that honestly gets me is that like I take a bus at 8.15 every morning to go to campus. but And so that's always a time because I've got like Wi-Fi on the bus and it's like air conditioned and, and you know, nice seats, this whole thing. And, and um, you know, I have time to like check my feeds and go through all that stuff. But at that point, it's like 11.15 in New York. So, you know, the news cycle is already like off and running. And it's so bizarre, like feeling, I guess, sort of disconnected, if that makes any sense. But if I'm going to be like in touch with the New York 
news cycle, then I have to be up at like five in the morning. And then that, that's not ideal either. So I know you're only off by an hour, but do you ever feel like you're missing stuff because everything else is happening an hour earlier? Honestly, it's never been an issue for me. I, 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 I do get that feeling when I'm in California. Okay. Being, being three hours behind uh, like New York. Then it then it hits me. But being one hour behind, I'm generally cool with finding things out one hour late. <laughs> I yeah no I don't I don't envy the East Coast uh, first to everything mindset. I'm not that much of a morning person. <laughs> I could yeah. I mean I could just get up an hour earlier and yeah. But yeah, nah. that's not really necessary. When I publish on my blog, I generally schedule if I have if I'm scheduling the day before to publish something the next day, I usually shoot for eight o'clock central because if it goes up any earlier than that, people on the West Coast miss it. Right. Like there's too much other stuff before they even wake up and people on the East Coast. uh, Let's see. So that would be like 7 a.m. East Coast. If it's too early there or I mean too late there, then they've already gone to work. They've already gone to work and it's, it's past it. Yeah, that's always an interesting thing. Like we would always try to kind of uh, like a Mashable and a Gizmodo try to kind of kind of think Mashable more than Gizmodo. We would think about, you know, like scheduling stuff, especially for like, you know, West Coast traffic stuff. And then at Mashable, too, we had, you know, um, the um, the international stuff. You know, we had the Australia team and we had um, the Asia team and, and, you know, trying to kind of, you know, they had their own calendars and whatnot. But there would still be times when we're like, OK, let's make sure we have content, you know when those people are waking up or going to lunch or whatever. Um, what that really means though, is that that kind of puts that like, you know, 11 to two time Eastern is becomes kind of like, you know, central publishing time because that's when everybody is, is either awake or at lunch or available to, you know, look at stuff. Yeah. Which, which is like, you know, eight to 11, like Pacific. So, yeah. So anyway, interesting, but no, that's awesome about the skinny jeans. Like I'm really excited for you that you're continuing to lose weight and you're so flexible. That's really awesome. Like I'm congrats, Brett. My, I had always said my goal was to look like the before picture on the P90X video. (laughs) Now you're going to be happy just to, just to be that guy. And now you're like, well, now you're basically the after photo. It sounds like it. No, not, not that yet. However, my arms are bigger than they have ever been before. And again, do you think that's the yoga from like the, the strength stuff that you're doing or yes, what? Or are you? Yeah. It is, but I'm also lifting. You're um, lifting too. The problem for me with yoga is that all of the strength you do is pushing. So like pulling muscles, triceps, and uh, basically you get, you get really good at pushing things away from you. But if you try to pick something up, you're not necessarily developing those muscles. Okay. Um, just because you're using, you know, your body weight and the floor usually. Um, so I've, I've been lifting and I do a lot of like exercise band stuff just to build up to kind of compensate for that. So the combination has resulted in, I mean, my bicep, do you know what, um, uh, hold on. Chaturanga. It's like a plank, but with your elbows bent. So you're hovering like halfway through a push up. Okay. I've heard of it, but I've never known what it was. Now now I can visualize it. Okay. And then you would like push from there into up dog, which is like Cobra, but with your knees off the ground. Um, that has been 
like getting good at that and learning how to do that, to, how to position my shoulders and wrap my shoulder blades to be able to really use that effectively. That has built so much like my chest and my bicep muscles holding planks like that. Yeah. Planks, planks kill me. I was, I'm always just, yeah. Well, a year and a half ago when I went to uh, physical rehab because my back had gotten so bad, uh, they wanted to test my core strength uh, because they assumed that was the issue. Turns out it was. Um, and so they had me hold just a, a plank on my toes and my elbows with like my hands, hand, my hand on each opposite elbow, arms crossed, right? And then just plank like that. I could hold that for like 30 seconds. And that was pitiful. Sad. The guy's like, okay, I know what we need to work on. And now, yeah, that's, I could probably do that for 20, 30 minutes. This that's is awesome. Good. This is huge progress in a year. No, it's, I, I can't believe it. It, it. In just a year, you've managed to do that. And, and like seeing your photos, like you look like a different person. You look like the bread I remember meeting years ago, uh, better even. But like it, it's it's really awesome to see this transformation. And I know that you're feeling so much better. And, and I, I, I imagine that it has. I mean, I, I know you say your mental health is basically the same, but I imagine that it hasn't hurt anything to be <laughs> feeling so much better, you know, physically. Ex exercise has replaced the need for certain medications for me. Uh, I have actually lowered dosages on a lot of things. That's great. Hopefully I can actually turn a lot of things into a few things because I'm just on too many meds. But hey, speaking of meds. Yeah. Let's talk about Christina's health corner. Christina's health corner. So I'm back on my meds. I'd been off them for a while for a lot of reasons. I'd kind of... The, the amphetamines, it was just too hard to, to get the prescription and I didn't want to deal with kind of doctor shopping in New York and, and, and I wasn't frankly taking good care of myself in that way. I should have just, you know, fought for that, but I didn't. And then the antidepressants, um, it was kind of a similar thing where I just, you know, I, I've been feeling better for a long time and, and I, I just didn't feel like it was necessary. Um, but I hadn't been, you know, there's been so many changes happening in my life and it's not like I've been depressed, but like, you know, it, I just felt like it was probably time to, to go back on them. And so, um, we have a, there, there's a, there's a health center on campus, very nice doctors. And, um, and I'm back on, uh, my Effexor and on my Dexedrine. So, um, it's been like a week, um, and a half and, uh, so far so good, you know, um, still kind of getting like readjusted and trying to figure out like what's working and what's not. It's sure. hard for me to really kind of tell how, that, how things that can are. Take a while. Yeah, exactly. You know, especially when you've been off for a while. Um, it's definitely been though nice to be back on on the dexedrine. Like I can definitely focus better. And and that was becoming kind of an issue for me. It was kind of becoming like, especially now that I'm doing, um, you know, where focus is more important in this role than than it was, you know, in my last job, sure. um, which, you know, had a lot of kind of moving around and switching oftentimes. And this sometimes I have to be more focused on a specific task. Um, it's been good to kind of have that again. But yeah, but it's but it's still a process. I'm still kind of, you know, figuring stuff out and We'll see. Are you on a lower dose than you used to be? Um, I am for now. So I was on before I was on 170 or like 187.5 and now I'm on 150 and we'll see if I add back to, you know, the other, but we're, we we started at 150 dosage, right. uh, for the effects And then I'm on the, I'm on, um, 10 milligrams of, of the dextrine, which is what I was on, uh, before. Okay. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was on a lot higher dosage of the Vivance before 
it was taken away. And now I am currently taking the, the lowest dose offered. Mm-hmm. And I had for a while, I requested to raise that, to bump that one level. It turned out like I didn't, I didn't want to be that focused. <laughs> because then I, I would like go for a couple of days without exercising. And I'm like, this is what happened to me before. Right. So I dropped it back down. Now I'm getting, you know, good. I'm getting six solid hours of work, of actual productivity a day. And then the rest of my time is cooking and exercise and fun card games and yeah keeping up with all the tv shows i like that's excellent (laughs) but yeah congrats on on getting back on meds that are helping you yeah no i'm excited about it and and we'll, we'll 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 you know see how it goes but i think it's the right thing and might have to you know adjust dosages but at least i have a you know a doctor now and that's that's been the biggest thing it was always difficult before to kind of find somebody who I, I could talk to and, and, you know, get feedback and stuff on. And, and I, I feel like I have a good doctor now. And so that's, that's really good. Yeah, that is huge. Took me a year and a half after losing a doctor to find one that actually, I felt like they were listening and, uh, and could actually help. That was, that's major. That's, that's probably even hard to find in like Seattle or New York. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I mean, it, it, I was just really fortunate that, you know, we have this, this health center, um, uh, you know, a doctor's office on campus and, and they're all very nice. And I just really, I was just like, this is actually really useful. You when, know? I, when I interviewed at Target Corp in, um, in Minneapolis, they, when they tour, when, when they gave me the tour of the campus, they had a whole mental health facility and pharmacy on the campus mm-hmm. that I, I was kind of shocked by. Yeah, I think that for a lot of big companies, it just makes sense because it's so hard for people to find time to get out of the office to go, you know, to the doctor. Yeah. And and if you can find a primary care physician that is right there, I mean, part of me, you know, kind of bristles at that stuff because it's like, you know, these companies, any company, you know, is basically kind of like asking you to almost sell your soul, right. you know, to work, right? Um, you, if you can't even leave to go to the doctor's office. But at the same time, I think there is like a real benefit to it as well. Like it's kind of a catch-22. I, I don't love you know, some of, so I think some, some tech campuses and some corporate campuses, not just, not just tech, you know, have too many, um, things like that where I think it almost becomes like restrictive in a certain sense, because, you know, if they're doing your laundry and your dry cleaning and all this <laughs> stuff for you, like it, the, the implication basically is you should never leave work. See, and that- that's certainly, and that's certainly not the case at Microsoft. Like that's actually, I mean, some teams might be that way, but like the, the groups that I'm in, like are, that's certainly not the culture at all. Like I leave, you know, everybody's gone by five. Um, most days. And if you are, you know, having to do some work at home or whatever, that's one thing. But like, you know, I, I get on the bus, you know, to leave, you know, by like 415 every yeah. day, you know, to go home so I can be traffic like that's that's how it works. But I do think that even with the my like residents hesitance with, you know, all these, you know, great benefits being offered to you. I do think that having something like, you know, a health facility like on campus when you have that many employees and whatnot is really, really nice. I, and it's, see, it's, 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 it's good. When I was interviewing with Google, like they had basically the same facilities, but there I got that impression, like that immediate feeling of we're giving you all this so you don't have to ever leave the campus. Right. And with, with Target, I didn't, I didn't feel that. Target yeah, felt like I, this is a convenience that we offer you. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think it is dependent on the company, how it's kind of structured that way. And yeah, and I would imagine that Target wouldn't be like, you know, like what, what, you know, I've heard of Google and, and some other places where, yeah, it, it is very much like, like there's been kind of a debate, um, on, on Quora and, and on some other places, you know, like within Microsoft, it's like, we have subsidized food and the food is very inexpensive and it's very good, but it's not free. Whereas like Google offers free food right. and, you know, some of the arguments I've seen people say, and I, I, I don't know if this is true or not, or, or what this goes into anybody who made the decisions thinking, but it, but this is a theory that makes sense to me, which is that, you know, they would rather you go home than have free food. Yeah. And I would certainly much rather be home than not having to pay for my pizza. You know, <laughs> like, like if the trade off is that I, I get to have an actual life, which I do you know, in, in, in this job, which I didn't really in my last job, um, versus, you know, like having all these perks, but never being able to really do anything other than work. I would much rather have less perks, but that's me. Yeah. So can I jump back to Comic-Con for a second? Of course. I love our ADD conversations. Same. <laughs> um, so when I was a kid, there was this show called The Secret City with Commander Mark. Okay. And it was, uh, it was this mustached guy that would every week teach you an, a drawing lesson and usually with outer space stuff you draw aliens and spaceships and cities and um you know like one week would be about perspective one week would be about shading and light and i loved it as a kid uh and my brother was a budding artist at the time and we got a membership to the secret city club and we had our cards and i had the uh the like club president's kit with all the markers and pads and everything. And I had almost forgotten about that until I was wandering through Artist Alley at Comic-Con and I saw the, a little little screenshot from the old TV show with the Secret City logo next to it. And I was like, oh my God, it's Commander Mark. And then realized that the person sitting at the booth was Commander Mark. Oh my God. And he's like, How wow, cool. thanks for remembering. And he, I bought a, a Deadpool print. He had this like, picture of Deadpool with like birds on his shoulders and um uh, and he signed it and like hey Brett it was kind of um kind of amazing in fact I think Artist Alley was my favorite part of that particular comic-con all the panels were uh they were just audience questions and all the audience questions were predictable people quick like googling you know <laughs> obscure information about the panelist and then asking a stupid question about it and yeah. Um, that got boring real fast. But the cosplay was kind of amazing. I never thought I would be into it. But then, like, the whole time I found myself thinking, like, what could I do? Right. <laughs> Who would I cosplay? How would I? <laughs> what prosthetics could I learn to make? Um, but uh, but Artist Alley was just chock full of um, independent artists, independent writers, uh, people doing fan art. Um, it was... It was a real pleasure to see everything. I found this print, uh, this company, well, I guess really technically a guy, but um, he makes these prints that are, I don't know, I'll almost have to post a picture of it because I don't know what to call it to describe it, but they're, they're 11 by 17 uh, with white borders matting and then uh, like a, a caricature, but usually like a, an amalgamation of comic book and like movie superheroes 
and the one the one I ended up buying my it was because my internal spell check went off when I saw fetish spelled f e t t i s h so I stopped at that one and I I scanned up and it's like this uh, dominatrix kind of figure with Boba Fett's head or at least like the mask on and it was gorgeous so I brought that one home I kind of wish I'd bought two because it would make a perfect like uh, diptych on my wall <laughs> but right now it's next to the 11 by 17 Commander Mark um, uh, Deadpool so that's so cool and can I just say a I love that you like loved Artist Alley and that you got all this stuff but I think it's amazing that like you'd for- totally forgotten about this this thing from your childhood that you'd clearly really loved like really loved yeah. like really loved and and I don't know when you'd last thought about it I, you know it doesn't seem like it had been in your consciousness and then to to not only like, be reminded of it but to like get to meet the guy I know. Like, that's so cool like I don't know like I, I, I love those sorts of things I, I met Carol Spinney the guy who plays Big Bird and and, and yeah. Oscar the Grouch and I cried <laughs> I, I freaking cried it was like it was I was just off of a red eye and and he was there playing uh, Oscar and and I got a photo with him and I cried. I, I cried like a little fucking bitch. Like <laughs> I I cried like a baby because he had meant so much to me as a kid, you know, and I'm sure that he gets that like all the time. And like obviously Commander Mark might not be like that for you, but I love that. I love that you were able to have kind of that experience of of reconnecting with with a good memory and like also how awesome that commander mark is doing deadpool art and is is still like going to cons and is like still an artist you know what i mean yeah. like that's badass like i love that he does like um uh seminars he'll do like i don't even i was just browsing his website markkissler.com uh, but he does like high paid seminars he does you can commission pencil art from him for like two hundred and seventy-five dollars at show price, for okay, an eight, okay. eight by ten. Okay, Commander Mark. <laughs> right. That's that's a little. <laughs> that, I, I doubt anybody has ever paid for that. Oh, he had five in progress while I was there, and he's oh, well, he's I, super I ADD, super ADD. But he's like, yeah, I just work on the one that uh, speaks to me at the time, and he's like just shading away on. Whatever well, I take it back. Is... Well, wow. It sounds like Commander Mark has had quite the nice side hustle. That's very it, he impressive. He seems to be doing fine, yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say, if he's be able to charge that much for his... For his... <laughs> That's for crazy. For his cartoon pencil drawings, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's nuts. Yeah, it is. Okay, so moving on, I believe we need to talk about the album release from last week. Or the single release, yeah. Right, yeah. And the album announcement. We do. We do. Because we are a Taylor Swift podcast. Right. At our so core. Have you, at our core, that's really what we are. We are a Taylor Swift podcast. And it's so funny because people on Twitter were pointing out that like three years ago, they remember listening to us talk about 1989. And I can't believe that was three years ago. Right. I mean, technically. <laughs> We've been doing the show for... <laughs> But but I mean but you and I have been doing this podcast for like more than three years. I mean there's been like hiatuses, obviously. We've like, done seventy episodes three in three years. Um, but <laughs> so I listened to it uh-huh. the day it came out uh, in in anticipate in, in anticipation of this conversation. I listened to it. I do not remember the second half of it. I think I fell asleep. 
I mean, it, the the chorus is, look what you made me do. Yeah. What you made me do. I mean, it's very staccato. It's very like, I don't know. I talked about this on Rocket, and and I, I'll stand by this. A, I think it is better if you hear it like multiple times, and and which is kind of a genius strategy for a song like this, where you know it, she definitely wants it to get played on radio and and on you know the internet and everywhere else like as much as possible. So making it kind of a, a weird earworm that gets a, more a slow like creep. catchy. Yeah, slow creep that gets more catchy the more the more you listen to it is actually kind of insidiously brilliant, right? But, you know, I'm not going to be like, I'm not, I, I love Taylor Swift so much, but I'm not going to be like, oh, this is her best work ever, because it's certainly not. Um, I, that said, you know, she does have a history of, of not always having the strongest first singles. Like, I don't think Shake It Off was a great song. I think that it was the perfect song for that album and for that era, right? Like, I think that it was like the perfect way of, of, of formally announcing I am now a pop artist. Um, but I don't think that it's like lyrically or, or conceptually one of her, you know, best songs, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, I, I, and I feel like in this case, and this is what I kind of like your feedback, your discussion on two things. One, did you watch the music video? I didn't. Okay. You really have to watch the music video because the music video is kind of amazing and okay. not kind of amazing like it, it's uh joseph khan directed it he's the guy who did the blank space video um oh uh, you know where she is like the 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 you know maniac who capture you know keeps the guy in in, yeah. in her you know mansion and and whatnot he also did um the bad blood music video oh, with all okay the so i was gonna say friends. how does the new one compare to the bad blood video because that one was um it's freakishly it's, good it's even it's even it's even better in a lot of ways like the I was looking at it like the production values, they shot it in May, but I don't know how long, you know, post took on it or how much they spent on it. But the effects, just like the, just the after effects work, you know, just the, the, the motion capture, there's so much stuff from the production level that like, I really, I wish you'd kind of watch the video because I would love to kind of dive (laughs) into some of the stuff. Like it's, it's kind of amazing. The idea is basically that, you know, it opens up with the Taylor that was in the out of the woods video, which Joseph Kahn also directed. And that was the one where she's like running through like, you know, this like, um, like ocean and like, you know, um, like ice and there's like a wolf and like, there's kind of a fight and it's kind of that thrill and whatnot. And that Taylor is rising up from the dead, like a zombie because, and then there's like, you see like this, uh, you know, tombstone, you know, saying, you know, here lies Taylor Swift, you know, and has like reputation and whatnot. And, and also in the background, there is a tombstone for, um, uh, Nils, uh, I, I can't, I can't pronounce the last name, but the, the, the name that she'd used as her nom de plume when she wrote that song for Colin Harris, um, uh, this is what you came for. Like that name is, is also on a tombstone. So there are lots of things, but then you see that out of the woods, Taylor Swift, like, again, like, like a zombie, like rising up from the dead and kind of clawing back. And then you see throughout the video, there's imagery of old Taylor Swift's like the Taylor Swift from the, uh, from, you know, the, you belong with me video wearing the, the, you know, the band t-shirt and, and the, the Taylor Swift from the red tour where she is in like kind of a marching band thing and, and a Taylor Swift, uh, from fearless, who's wearing like a sparkly dress and like, uh, you know, a, a Taylor Swift from 1989 and, and a, and a Taylor Swift from like all these different eras and, and album things are, all at one point there's this whole like sea of bodies in this tower of bodies where she's standing on top of them and they're all trying to claw their way up and she's like pushing them down and like you know like killing them basically um there's uh also like the very very end um 
there's the moment where all the tailors start talking to each other and talk about how annoyed they are. Like, you know, oh, look at her. She's going to, you know, play the victim again like she always does. Oh, you know what? You're going to, you know, um, you're going to cry or whatever. And, and you know, one of them says, oh, I just want to be excluded from this narrative. And they all, and they all scream, shut up. Um, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, but, but kind of the, the core of the video itself, it's, you know, there's not much of a plot. You kind of see kind of this imagery there's there's some snakes there's uh like a, a weird kind of victorian dance sequence there's a scene where she's lying in a bathtub full of what were apparently real diamonds um you know in a very bird much cage uh, scene. in a bird cage scene yeah very much kind of like, like blank space. I'm, I'm watching this while you're talking silently yeah and 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 you can i mean but like but if, if you watch it closely like when when you watch it again like Again, like the special effects, especially when they have all the tailors on and, and some of that motion work is just really incredible. Like the the um, compositing stuff is just really like above. It's just kind of amazing. I don't know. I personally think that the video is superior to the song. The video makes the song that much better. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of I'm here for petty, petty, petty Taylor Swift, who, you know, is all about like fighting back at all the people that she believes have wronged her over the last year and a half. <laughs> I, I kind of love it. I, I will say that that in a lot of the TV shows I like and movies I like, that kind of plot is, that's why I watch. Not necessarily why I listen to music, but... Right. I get yeah, it. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't want the whole album to be like, you know, a response to the the last you know exactly (laughs) katie perry and kanye west and i don't want that because i think that would distract i think she's too good of a songwriter for that i think that would actually be like really sad if if the whole album is is purely a response to all that stuff and also like at a certain point get over it right but i think having a song and a video where she literally i mean i mean because we talked about this before like she kind of disappeared and nobody knew where she was and it was kind of this whole thing and then she was you know um, obviously the, the defendant in a lawsuit where that DJ, you know, who groped her, tried to sue her for getting him fired. And, and she was kind of a hero in the courtroom, you know, like was totally badass in fighting that, you know, she won like the, the judgment of a dollar, which was more of a symbolic, you know, like win than anything else because she'd countersued, um, you know, but she hadn't really been in the, she hasn't really been in the spotlight since, you know, the, the, the summer of disaster with Tom Hiddleston, right? Like, since Hiddle Swift failed and, and, and Kim and Kanye exposed her, you know, uh, uh, supposed lies, like we haven't seen her. And it, it, it was really interesting to see her come back and not, I think most people would have assumed that the tactic she would have taken would have been contrition, right? Like win people back by being contrite and saying, I'm really sorry that I handled things the wrong way and, and I want to be better and, and, and whatnot. And that's not what she's doing. Like she's literally doing the exact opposite. And she's like, fuck you. Um, uh, you know, I've heard everything you've said about me and I'm not fucking around. And uh, by the way, watch me break every streaming, you know, record, everything I can break. Cause, cause you know, she's petty as hell and she just wants to like break records. Like she knows she's not going to sell more albums than Adele, but she can be like, well, I can break these streaming records and I can break, you know, music video view records and I can do all this stuff. And let me just show you the power of my success. And I will be, the, the the baddest bitch you know the pettiest bitch you've ever seen i kind of love it because i've always said this like my favorite taylor swift is petty calculated taylor swift and i think that's always been like who she is deep down like i think she's probably a very nice person but i think that deep down like she you know will fucking come for you and i'm kind of loving it 
can I say that that last Katy Perry swish swish song was horrible? Oh, the whole album is bad. I, didn't even, I haven't even heard the rest of the album. No, I mean, every single she's released, and it's flopped, right? Like, it's been like, like, Katy Perry flopped hard. Like, the album's not selling, the tour's not selling, like, it's not good. Because it wasn't and, Katy Perry anymore. No, exactly. She should have just rebranded as someone else. I agree, I agree. And, well, the problem, too, I mean, and this is, like, a legit problem, She, Dr. Luke wasn't involved. To me, it felt a lot like what's that wrecking ball girl's name miley cyrus it felt like miley cyrus like it felt like she had regressed yep to this no, immature 19 no, year old yeah i agree with you and it's like katie you're too old for that like you know <laughs> like, like 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 you're like 32 like you you you're you're too old for that you know like it doesn't work um and also like her music had kind of evolved past that. I don't know. Like, I, I think it's always tricky for pop stars because there's a certain amount of a shelf life, you know, Sure. where you, and you have to kind of strike while the autumn's hot. You know, there, there are exceptions, you know, there are some that are really enduring, you know, like, like, like Madonna, although yeah, she hasn't That was the lately. example I was going to offer. Yeah. Who can well, just we, keep we, doing her own thing for her entire life. Right. But, but like, she's you know very rare most of the time you know there there's a certain shelf life which is why britney spears at 35 is in vegas you know um <laughs> and um and god bless her for it but like that that's just kind of you know what happens and and i i feel like i think that with the right album Katy perry could have had another cycle i really do but this just like wasn't the right album and i don't know is it, it shifting was... that fast that within like a pop careers like one decade span that they have to keep, like, three years later, try to appeal to the youngest audience again. Yeah, I don't know if they have to appeal to the youngest audience, but they have to be at least interesting enough for people to care. Like, I suppose. But don't, pe like, people who graduate high school and at their, like, last high school dance, they're playing, uh, you know, one pop star song. Don't people develop some bond with that pop star for the rest of their yeah. life? Yeah, they do. Absolutely, they do. But it's not the same bond that has you buying concert tickets or streaming albums hundreds oh, of times. I or, or That's the difference you know I mean? right there is people That's aren't buying difference. albums. Concerts right. are like the primary source of income. And once you're 30, exactly. you're not going to concerts as often, if at exactly. all. Exactly. And, and right. And, and, and so it becomes much more rare for to, you know, to, to want to do the outlay of time and, and people. Right. Yeah. And so again, like you have certain acts, like Prince was one, Michael Jackson was one, Madonna was definitely one where, you know, Madonna didn't tour for like, you know, like almost 10 years. And then she came back and, you know, it was like an event. Cause I was at that first concert tour that she did, um, in, in 2001. And, and it was her first tour, I think since like 93. And, and it was like, you know, I was, I was like 18, but most of the people in the audience, I would say were significantly older than that, you know, but they've been waiting, you know, like, you know, the better part of a decade to see her tour. Sure. And but Madonna owned but, but, the gay club scene. Precisely. Madonna could sell out a concert. And Madonna could sell out a concert. And I was going to say, you know, Brittany, I think that's why she does so well in Vegas, right? Is that I will totally like, I'm actually planning a trip to go to Vegas to see Britney Spears with some friends. And I will pay that money and like, I'm happy to do it. Right. But that's a different sort of experiential thing than saying, oh, I'm going to go to a, a Katy Perry concert. 
Now, I'll go to a Taylor Swift concert, me personally, but even Taylor Swift, I think, has to be like cognizant that, you know, she if she if her music doesn't continue to change and if she doesn't continue to kind of, you know, court the right audiences, those same fans that were coming to her for, you know, 1989 or, you know, for Fearless or for Red or for whatever, like, aren't necessarily going to be like, well, yeah, I'm going to go see Taylor Swift. You I know? do think a lot of people are more intrigued by her anger than her peace. I agree. I agree. And I think that that was really smart of her to kind of focus in on. I think she, if she's smart enough to realize that everybody's talking Except about it she anyway. Can't, she can't play maligned anymore. I agree with that. And I, I feel like that's, that's the only part of the song and the video that kind of bothers me is that there is a certain victim mentality. Right. It's a, like a and, persecution complex. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, you can feel like I was misconstrued and you can feel like people have maybe you fucking you one know, life. You don't get to complain exactly. anymore. I mean, you can definitely be like, look, you, 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 you've, you've demonized me in a way that's unfair. I think you can certainly say that, right? Like I, I think say you can shake it off, you know? <laughs> but like, I do think you can say I've, I've been portrayed unfairly and you've, you've made me into a villain that I'm not, and you've accused me of things that I'm not, but I don't think you can re-victimize yourself in that way. I think you can be saying, well, this didn't happen, but you have to take the strong stance of, you know, but, but, but I'm going to obviously, you know, you, but you have to accept your privilege. You have to kind of, you can't be like, oh, I think it goes me. like this. This didn't happen, blocked. but whatever. Right. That's I mean, I think the that, song. That's the single right there. This didn't happen, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, but, yeah, but, but I, I don't know if she's capable of doing that because she seems like, by, by the very fact of this album existing, it, it seems like, you know, or not this album, this, this, uh, but the fact that it's called Reputation, I kind of love that, right? I mean, that right there is she's basically like, you've sullied my reputation. Um, and, and she takes that super seriously. Um, I, prefer, I prefer Joan Jett's take on it. I mean, I do too, but, but, but I, but I, but I, but I feel like, uh, you know, she doesn't give a damn, uh, but, but, but I, but I feel like, you know, the fact that like, that's what she's calling it. It's very much kind of a, I don't know. I hope that the album doesn't take a victim's tone. Cause you're right. She can't do that anymore. That is, that is past. And frankly, that was past, I think, um, with her last album. And she didn't really do that on, on 1989. There wasn't really much of that mythology there at all, but she really, you know, she's too big. Like you said, she's, the most powerful pop star in the world. She's arguably, you know, the most visible celebrity in the world. Like you, you can't be like poor woe is me. It's like, like you said, you won life. Like even if people have maybe come at you in ways that are unfair, that's just the reality of being you, you know, people are going to hold you to a different standard because you're you. It, that's just how it works. I feel like it was an error in judgment that we didn't get to the Taylor Swift conversation until we were an hour into recording. Yeah, I agree with you. We probably I, should have opened with Taylor Swift. Yeah. I may record an intro. I may go back and be like, hey, bear with us. We'll get to Taylor. Yeah. So <laughs> that'll be the title right there. Hey, bear with us. We'll get to Taylor. Bear with us. We'll get to Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah put, put in the time code for Taylor. Maybe put it in as a bookmark or something so that people can go straight to it. Yep. If they don't want to hear about my job and all the other crap. <laughs> I'm going to do that only because I think it's hilarious. Um, so there is one more topic I wanted to get to. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to I'm gonna lead into this with an unrelated movie. Uh, but I recently saw a sale, a huge discount on iTunes on, director, on the uh, Blade Runner Final Cut. 
Yeah. Which blends like director's cut with <laughs> apparently like cutting cutting floor stuff. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I have it on it, on Blu-ray. Yeah, and it had all the interviews, and I it is it is a version of the movie I'm happy to own. Like it includes everything that um, that I missed from the theatrical release, but the interviews are what made that purchase perfect for me. It was like five bucks or something with oh, hours, wow. That's it? hours of interviews with all of the, the cast, the director. Actually, I don't know if he was interviewed at all, but a lot of people that were behind the scenes talking about the process and interviews with Harrison Ford about having to do the voiceover for the theatrical release and everything. That was amazing. But you've seen it then. Yeah. Did your Blu-ray has all the extras? Yeah, it does. I mean, that was why I bought the Blu-ray is because it, it had all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So that was that was only brought up because I wanted to get into a movie discussion. The question is, have you seen Colossal? I have not. I I highly recommend it. And okay. because you haven't, this will obviously be a short conversation. But yeah, you've seen the previews? I have. Yeah. So it looks like it's going to be kind of a funny. Wait, am I getting the name right? It. 2016 I IMDb. Um, South Korea. Yeah, yeah, giant. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and you see, uh, what's her name? Anne Hathaway, like, like uh, you know, you see her, and it looks like she's controlling. Oh yeah, yeah. A Godzilla yeah, I've heard of this. creature. I, yeah. Okay. Now I know. I'd heard of this, and I, I'd actually wanted to see it because it was, it was, it was at. Yeah, it was released in April. Um, and my friend uh, Rich did an interview with Anne Hathaway um, about it, and and wrote a really good review. But yeah, so unfortunately, this came out like right as I was like in the process of upending my life. Okay. So, I didn't so see it. find it and see it. Okay. I don't know if it's on iTunes yet. I haven't checked. I actually, it showed up on a friend's Plex server, so I watched it. But it is nice. not, it's not what you think it is. Yeah, it's available to rent. I can rent it. Okay. It is, um, it, it's a deeply, it's a story about deeply flawed humans and human relationships and even abusive relationships and the monsters that we have inside us. While it is kind of a sci-fi funny movie, but halfway through you realize this is not the comedy that I thought I was getting into. It gets heavy and it gets real and I loved it. Like to me, while it may have a 6.2 Metacritic rating, to me it was the best movie of the year. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to have to check this out for sure. Yeah, um, people people who like this also liked Ghost in the Shell, which I have been just so warned off of seeing that I don't even I'm not even same. gonna try. Yeah, same. And and that's disappointing for me because a oh, I, huge I really do like yeah huge disappointment because I like I love ScarJo and I and I love Ghost in the Shell, but yeah, yeah everybody has talked poorly about it. But it's one of those weird things where I'm gonna say something controversial, and some of our listeners might get angry with me. I have to wonder, like, and look, I'm not saying that she was the right choice for the film. I'm not, I'm not in any way defending whitewashing and, 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 you know, yellow face stuff. I'm not in any way saying that like what happens to Asian actors is fair. I'm not making that statement, but I do sometimes wonder if the controversy around all that has made people 
like the movie or dislike the film just on that basis and not based on the quality. If that okay, makes any so sense. So that I have never even heard that complaint. Okay. I, while I while I will acknowledge that is entirely possible. Um, I haven't seen the movie, but that is not the complaint I've heard. I have only heard that it is just a bad movie. Okay, well, the, fair enough. Fair and this enough. is, and, and- I only listen to people who have, who actually know what Ghost in the Shell is to begin with. Okay, people well, who then don't, people are like, oh, I had no idea that was an anime previously. Um, I, I, I ignore them and they're like, it was decent. It was okay. But anyone who has, you know, grown up a fan of Ghost in the Shell they have hated across the board that movie. So I haven't even bothered watching it yet. So I'm not offering my own opinion on it. I'm just saying. Right. No, I'm with you. And and I think that, that with all the controversy, everything else, that's just what makes it so disappointed is that, you know, it's not even good. Like we did, we went through all the drama around the cast and everything else. And then it's a bad movie. Who do you think they'll cast when they do Akira? That's what I was just thinking because <laughs> because the Akira film has been in you know the works or they've been has trying it to really? talk. About. There's been attempts for probably for a live you know, action Akira. Yeah, for probably twenty years. Oh man, they've been trying to do one. Uh, of course they have. You know, because it, it if you think about it, like okay, I'm gonna reading reading this now from the Wikipedia. Um, live action adaptations. In 2002, Warner Brothers acquired the rights to create a live action remake of Akira, but has undergone several failed attempts to produce it. I'm not going to get into the whole thing. Um, oh, Gary Whitta, who's my friend, actually wrote one of the drafts. Then um, they, so this was 2002, 2003. Then, in two, then they put it on hold at the end of 2003. Then in 2008, uh, Rory Robinson announced that he was teaming with Whitta to adapt the manga to live action and bring it um, uh, to out and then the it, you know the the first one was we were gonna have to be like a trilogy and the first one being released in 2009 and then that ended up um getting uh, sidetracked again and then one of the directors was replaced and then they went back you know on it with you know in 2011 and and it's still like since the project began several writers directors you know actors and actresses have been attached and so it's basically been a turnaround for 14 years um, since Warner Brothers bought the live action rights. So, or 15 years, sorry, 15 years. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a mess, but yeah, they've been trying. Huh. I kind of assume already like in advance, that one's going to not turn out any better than ghost in the shell. Uh, I, I would agree with you. I mean, the only way that it would be if there was like some sort of like Deadpool type of situation where dip against all odds, you know, they finally got it together um, or even Wonder Woman, I guess, to a certain extent, because Wonder Woman had a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, state attempts too, and I thought Wonder Woman was great. I just but saw Wonder I think Woman. On space, I don't think it's going to. Yeah. And I actually I enjoyed it. it. There were a lot of scenes, especially fight scenes that I was like, this is not up to par with a Marvel movie. Right. But overall, okay, A, that actress, the Israeli... Gal, Gal Gadot, yeah. Hot as hell. Um, She's so hot, right? W- Isn't she just like the hottest? Would absolutely like, I don't keep mean to me watching her. even a bad movie. <laughs> but um, like, I don't want to objectify her, but she, yeah, she's amazingly attractive and really good. Like she yeah. was a really good and actress. Like, and she, she was. a really, really good job. She actually... Fittingly, you know, as a leading character should, she absolutely owned that movie. Um, overall, I I did enjoy it. I think it could have been better, but it wasn't her fault. 
and I'm not even sure. I think it was overall, I think it was actually After Effects that weren't up to par for me. I mean, it's not like I expected a deep storyline. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. In, so I saw it in the theater like opening day. And so I guess my perspective was a little bit, you know, it's always skewed okay, when you watch to it. To be fair, I watched, like, I watched it on an airplane. Okay. <laughs> on Delta Wi-Fi or like not Delta Wi-Fi, but like Delta's in seat entertainment. Yeah. So I saw no, I it on a small about, yeah. screen with cheap headphones that may have affected my uh, yeah, I, I, I would encourage you to watch it again, just because the things you're saying about like, I would agree with you that the fight scenes weren't like Marvel quality, but I would also argue that nothing that DC has put out is Marvel quality in that well, way. Yeah. Like, but isn't that, sad? you know, I, I agree, but I think it's getting closer. I'm just saying, I think Marvel at this point has become such a machine that unless you're talking <laughs> about like the Christopher Nolan Batman films, which were a completely different breed and a different type of filmmaking and, and story and everything else. Like, I just don't feel like, you know, I, I just, I, it, it's hard. It's hard oh, to make a man. comparison. Christopher Nolan, Wonder Woman. That would be so good. Right. Um, but, but Patty Jenkins is going to come back for the second one. I really liked that, that she directed it. And, um, and I thought she did a good job with it, but that all that said, like, if 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 even only for the the symbolism of of a of a female directing it, I don't even care if, if people are gonna say get mad at me for saying that. Like I I appreciated that in and of itself. You know, like a she did a really good job, but b I really appreciated that that film was directed by a woman. Yeah. But well, and like I, I, I would, said, it wasn't it wasn't the directing that right. I was at all concerned yeah, you're with. Saying like the After Effects stuff, and what I was gonna say though is I didn't pick up on that. Now that doesn't mean it's not there, but I would I would be curious to see if you watched it at home, like on your nice TV, you know, with like decent sound, if some of that might have been just what happens when you. Yeah. You know, I'm, what, I'm what, willing what, to what, try what, that. I actually have because, a copy of it, so. Because because that's what happens sometimes, and I mean this I think becomes really important for like filmmakers to think about is that like the way that you make a movie, you know when you're anticipating it to be viewed in one context and when it's viewed in another, it doesn't always translate in a way that works. When I used to mix uh, demos for my band, I'd always finish the mix and then take it right out and stick it in my car stereo and listen to it on my crappy speakers in my uh, Plymouth Rampage. It was a horrible car with horrible speakers and I would listen to it there. And if it sounded worse than, you know, the sisters of mercy tape that I would play next to it, then it had to be remixed. Um, it would have been smart, uh, thinking about it to move my four track out there and just mix from, but right, just that right, being said, but... yes, absolutely. You have to, you have to, you have to mix the final product for the lowest end while trying not to degrade the highest end. It is that is that's the challenge for any post production artist. Yeah. And I have to think, especially with films these days, that's gotta be even harder, right? Because you're in this weird situation where everybody, you know, is is trying to go four K and eight K and six K and all this stuff, you know, and do more and more and more advanced. But the but the reality is most people are gonna be watching this on small screens. Yeah, you're watching it. I, I'm pretty certain that those nine inch displays on the back of Delta seats are not high def by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they're not. I'm sure that they're, you know, they got whatever, you know, um, you know, pseudo capacitive you know, like, thing they could get. And maybe they do, but it seems like you would almost have to 
release <laughs> the airplane version of a movie that was re reprocessed. To yeah, do usually a they crappy yeah, definition. Yeah, usually they only do you know like the airplane versions are like edited for content. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. think they do anything on that Poorly end. Poorly edited you know, too. I, I doubt that they. they Oh yeah, always very poorly edited. Um, you know, bad dubbing, uh, galore. Really bad. Uh, like oftentimes terrible dubbing, and it's not just for uh, you know, the movies. They do it for the TV shows. Like if you're watching like yep. the Showtime that's, stuff, that's why or I know. That's why I know. Yeah, I was yeah, watching an you, HBO show on the plane. Yeah, and then you you hear the dubbing, you're like, what? I know what this is. I, like it wasn't really? like they were trying to be funny. I think replacing swear words with really corny words, but it was poorly dubbed and. I just it didn't carry it it didn't work for me at all completely pulled me away from the scene that's that's yeah yeah um but I, I do wonder that that is a good point though but I do kind of feel bad for for filmmakers in this era where like you have all this amazingly powerful equipment and you're trying to push the envelope and like that's the big thing that's kind of standing out and then the way that we're viewing stuff I mean home theaters are obviously getting more advanced and, and 4k tvs are great and all that but like and to be most fair, are, like most what, people are going to watch it at home, like on, on on a phone, you know. What makes a movie is opening weekend, and opening yeah. weekend you're seeing it on the big screen, you're yep. seeing it in the theaters that they chose to release it to. So, that's not. I mean, yeah, you know, a month after it comes out, people are watching it on airplanes and they might have a bad experience. But at that point, you've either succeeded or failed already. Yeah, that's true. So that and, would and, explain and case, why no one's making movies designed for nine inch screens on the back of airplane seats. Yeah, no, you're right, because they are hoping that they can capture that opening weekend, you know, power. Although, you know, with the exception, and that's kind of the funny thing this summer, with the exception of Wonder Woman, this was a really disappointing summer. Um, and uh, at the box office, yeah. like, like, you know, a, I think the quality of films that was out was disappointing for like us, the viewers, but for the for the money people, they were like really upset. Because um, it did not make, like, so, you know, it was down significantly from last year. Did you read about um, the Rotten Tomatoes, like how directors are reacting to Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. It is, like, basically, because people have become so reliant on Rotten Tomatoes reviews as yep. to whether or not they're even going to go to the theater, if even two you know, armchair critics get an advanced copy of the movie and they review it prior to bo first box office weekend. It is, uh, it, and they, re if, if they both review it, one or two of them at like three stars and they have yeah. their complaints, two people can determine whether half the audience even shows up for opening weekend. Yeah, yeah, no, it, 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 it's a huge problem. And, and it's actually, there's a certain irony in, in some of the, like, the director blowback to Rotten Tomatoes. Um, the, the, the first being that like Warner Brothers used to own Rotten Tomatoes, like the movie studio. <laughs> so there's a certain like irony there. Until 2016, Warner Brothers owned it. Now Comcast does. But like, I remember when, when Warner Brothers bought Flickster in like 2011 and then they sold it to, to Comcast in 2016. But like there is like this certain, you know, irony of like, one of the studios and some of the directors that are most upset by those things are Warner Brothers people. And like, you, you bought this, <laughs> you bought this company and are ba basically responsible for it continuing to be profitable and, and in existence, you know, who knows what would have become of it if you hadn't bought 
you know, Flickster in, in 2011, right? Like <laughs> there's, there's no telling that it, it would have any, you know, you put all this money into building it and making it this, this big thing. Cause you thought you'd get synergy and now it's kind of come to, there is a certain sense of just desserts to that. Yeah. It, it kind of right. And, and then I think the other thing too, and what's interesting about that is that like, you're right. Like it does make directors and, and studios, frankly, um, very like resident to let anybody see the film beforehand. Um, but that is in and but of itself. Even I have a like a real problem can with. Ruin the movie. Oh yeah, that's true. That's even true. if even it's good, can. even yeah. even after twenty years, some of my favorite movies still have like forty, thirty to forty percent ratings. Eh. Oh yeah, no, I know. And I mean, well, at that point, when it's older films, you know, they're they're going on on different types of metrics. You know, I, I think that there's like a certain period of time when like Rotten Tomatoes kind of starts, yeah. and it's kind of like SoundScan, where like. You know, you kind of can't take any numbers seriously before, you know, 1991 because the way Billboard calculated See, that's stuff what was I so need different. Meta- I need Metacritic's algorithms to account for all of that. Yeah, I agree. I Metacritic needs to because Metacritic, some of it, they pull in like Pauline Kael and Roger Ebert and like older stuff, but not enough of it. Um, but there have been like in the past, there were aggregation systems of newspaper critics in like this various almanacs that existed, like uh, like Cinemania, the, the CD-ROM app I had as a kid that I loved so much that was like uh, a CD-ROM version of IMDb had, you know, aggregate, I think, critic stuff. So that stuff definitely exists. I just don't know like what database they would use. But Metacritic could totally do that and then, you know, have a, an algorithm that would show you how it was determining that. But I agree. Like, I feel like there needs to be context for older films in all of these rating systems that's like, look – this was released before the modern system, so this is the basis of assholes who don't have anything to do but rate <laughs> stuff on Rotten Tomatoes all day. And because you and I both know, like those audience members are like the most annoying, you well, know. And the data is there to see, to compare their ratings of all the movies they've rated against overall like audience rating. Yeah, so you I agree. Could easily temper a real like dickhead armchair critic no you could and what you could also do and frankly this is probably what the studios and frankly it's probably better what rotten tomatoes should do is that if you do have a film that like is getting those armchair things pre-release and whatnot don't count it like if it's based on a leak i don't think that the the rating should count agreed like i don't think that's fair in any way or not like if it it, now you know and, and the same thing i feel like you should separate between like people who are known critics and like us you know like me if i were writing in, in professional context and i needed to have my stuff there that that's one thing if that's how i'm making my my you know my, my brand my whatnot and i'm not, i don't mean you have to be like employed by like a major media company but just that that has to be like what you're seen as you know versus you know like whatever my mom thinks about a movie like yeah. they, they shouldn't have the same weight at least for for i think you know, before movies in theaters. Well, and the, the reason it's annoying is because, like I said, all of the data is there to compensate for all of that. I agree. I agree. And it's it's interesting that they won't do that. Uh, at the very least, I think, like, whatever they do, like, how, however they calculate whose stuff you see. But whatever whatever um, the case, I, I do feel like anything that was leaked shouldn't be um, given any rating until it's actually out. Like, I don't think that's fair. Do you have time but, for one, uh, more, one more question, one more topic? Yeah, hell yeah. Let's let's just make this a really long episode. We've been gone for months. Let's I, do it. Yeah, I feel like we owe we owe the people. 
We do. So what do you think about uh, Stephen King's It, the new version? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I saw the trailer and I was like, but we already got Stranger Things, you know, <laughs> like. Well, plus we already got It. We are. Well, exactly. A, we already got It. That, and, and, the and, original like TV movie. Yeah. Like I saw it. I, I don't even remember. Like to me, that I remember was. Seeing, I was being really little. Yeah, I was little too. I'm I'm much older than you. I know you're not. I'm I'm saying I remember seeing it when I was really little. Is what I was saying, and like I remember it scaring me. Is all. That's my only real memory of it. It it was scary, and the beauty of that one to me was that the clown was. He looked happy, until (sighs) he didn't. And right, my, my the weirdness of this trailer that I've seen, is the clown looks evil to begin with. Yeah, he does. And I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it. But yeah, the, the clown always looks evil and menacing and like, a, you know, like an evil clown. But I don't know, the whole thing, you know, I, lo- I watched it and I was like, okay, now I just really kind of want to watch Stranger Things again, you know, like. Hey, that'll happen like, soon. I know, I'm excited. But like, I, but you know what I mean? But I just feel like we've already got really good stories. I kind of don't need this, this remake of something that's already been done. Um I kind of felt the same way. Oh, did you see they're they're doing a remake of Flatliners? Mm-mm. Um, I think Why? that's the name of the movie. I don't know. And and here's the saddest part. Uh, so it's it's I think it's it's basically the exact same story because we were watching the the trailer and and Grant was like, oh, it's a sequel to to the nineteen ninety film. Why you would do that? It's just so ridiculous. Uh, but but Grant was like, Why are they remaking Flatliners? I'm like, I have no idea. Oh, with you know, Ellen like that's, Page. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the saddest part to me, is that Ellen Page, Oscar nominee, like, she was doing really great stuff, and she is stuck in this movie. It does look like a sequel, I have to say. If anything, it's a reboot from modern times. Yeah, that's what it, that's what it seems like. That's what the trailer looked like, a but, reboot from modern times. Yeah, but I'm not seeing any of the the really fun, like, creepy sexual predator aspect to it um that sounded um, very the, yeah no very in, the, in the trailer in the trailer there was no there wasn't there wasn't yeah like that it's was all happening in a hospital exactly and they're all like they seem like they're medical students and, well, and they were and med like, students yeah exactly in the first one but it but it, it, it i don't know it it uh i don't know this was just one of those things i'm like really it's like between this and um the paramount network i'm very upset about this is actually doing the stupid heathers tv show what and it yeah, TV Land originally picked it up and then canceled it, and then I guess they made enough episodes of the Paramount Network, which is what they're rebranding. Spike. Huh. I could see doing. I could see doing a uh, Mean Girls TV show. Yeah, me too, but not a Heather's but one, don't and not mess when with you Heather's. Ca- exactly. I, I'm so upset about this. Also, they're casting it the way they're casting it. And look, I'm all about inclusive cast, but don't fucking turn Heather's into Glee because that's what they're doing. They're casting like people of color, gay people, trans people, like, uh, you know, people of size, like all kinds of like this mishmash. So the Heather's now all look like they're not Barbies. They look, you know, like more regular people. But again, it feels like they've turned Heather's into Glee. And I'm like, don't do that shit. Nuh-uh. Well, to uh-uh. be fair, to be fair. As devil's advocate here, uh, I I don't know what school is like these days. Yeah, and maybe the Heather's are a different group. And I, that's fair. It just feels like it's not being done because that's what it is. It feels like it's being done that way because they want to show. Look at how um, 
blah, blah, you know, look at how great we are for casting, for having a diverse sure, cast. Sure. And so it feels like it's it, which to me is just gross. It's like cast people who are diverse because that's the right thing to do, not because you want a pat on the back for, oh, look at how subversive we are about it. You know what I mean? I am super excited to see Sean Hannity's reaction to having the Heathers replaced with a, a multi-racial, multi-gendered cast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think uh, he, he that will be, be like, great press for them. Yeah, or maybe maybe uh, maybe Tommy Lauren, uh, who who now uh, is is on his show, maybe that God, ridiculous person. Can't, uh, just, <laughs> I know she's the fucking worst. Maybe that bitch can be like, can 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 go on a rant about it. Um, oh I, God, no, she's too young to have ever seen Heather's. Right. Um, I did you see? Uh, I think I'm pretty sure it was. Who did I just say? Why did I just forget his name? Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity. Did you see his comment on Wonder Woman? Uh, yeah. That she wasn't American enough. Yes. Where's like, Where's the like... patriotism? Like he he didn't know she was an Amazon or. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> did you, or, well, I mean, he just proves he's never you know looked at the comics or remembers anything about it, and it's 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 so funny. But what's weird uh, is I honestly think that was a Fox News talking point that someone handed him. Oh, I think him. it was. Oh, I'm sure it was. <laughs> I'm sure it was. And uh, uh, it was like, I, I'm sure that's exactly what it was. And, and uh, that's that's really funny because he was just like, she's not American enough. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, you're the dumbest man. Yeah. Well, if if we want to talk about the dumbest man for a second. Oh, God. Yeah. OK, well, let's talk I've about been, it. I have been very entertained uh, seeing the stories coming out about the White House chief of staff. Uh, is it Kelly? Uh, yeah, John Kelly. Yeah. Um, how <laughs> he's been, because it, it, it has been verified that Trump's uh, primary source of information is Fox News. And that he basically, his entire media diet is Fox News. So, uh, but he doesn't watch it a lot of times. It is delivered to him, printed out as a briefing. Fox News stories as a briefing yep. and Kelly has intercepted this process and begun to include news from uh, less biased sources. Uh, I believe they listed it as news from more reputable sources and has been like feeding Trump a new diet of news. And he's very unhappy about and it. I've heard super unhappy. I honestly I think they're taking bets around the White House, but I, I think I would give Kelly maybe three months. I think I think he'll probably last longer than that just because I feel like there's a part of Trump that like really likes the idea of, oh, I've got this general, you know, working for me. He, and... ha he has a he has a, a brand manager. Exactly. And it, it, he's almost like, oh, look, daddy, look, you'll be impressed with me now because because, you know, <laughs> I have the, 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 this, this guy is working for me. Like, I don't know. Look I can, at me. I can say things that people won't immediately recognize as repeating a Fox News talking point. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, no, it's, it's really funny. Uh, it's just, yeah, I. I uh, yeah. Um, this whole this whole last month in politics has just been crazy on month. levels that month, but, but really like the last, well, specifically the last 30 days have just been like completely nuts with, you know I mean? Just, just think Scaramucci was just a month ago. 
<laughs> all 10 days of his pre-tenure. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was amazing. That was so good. <laughs> um, he followed me on Twitter and I was like, what? <laughs> I followed him back, of course. I was like, yeah, you're going to get the follow back on this. I want to see how this how this implodes. And then it imploded spectacularly. I was like, yep, it makes sense. My favorite part is that his wife filed for divorce before he even left the job. Well, she like right after she gave birth, she yeah. like is in labor and she's like, yep, done. I don't want uh, you to hear her goodbye. Like how bad does it have to be? Like you're like you're giving birth and you're like, yeah, there should be a a bar in hell where it's just him and that pharma bro guy. Uh, Barton Screlly. Yeah. yeah. And they just have to hang out and tell uh, quote unquote war stories to each other all day. Oh, yeah. They would just talk about Wall Street all day and how great they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's really funny. Yeah. There was somewhere else I was going to take this whole political discussion, but I may, I may either not remember or choose not to. Is there anywhere else you want to go today? Anywhere else I want to go today. Oh, did you watch glow on Netflix? Yes. It was so good. So here's the thing is I, because you know, I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of TV as a kid. I did not know that Glow was ever a real thing. I didn't either. So I was and almost... And that's not because I didn't watch TV. I just didn't know wrestling. <laughs> that that as well. I still don't. But um, halfway, a little past halfway through the Netflix series, Netflix, well, at least I noticed Netflix published a documentary on yeah. the real Glow. Yes. I've so seen I that. watched I that watch and that has highly informed my watching of the Netflix series. It is. Uh, t- it was a good series to begin with. I love Mark Maron. I he he's so broken that I 100% relate to him and enjoy him pretty much all the time these days. Uh, yeah. So knowing that that story is it really happened, and seeing that they are actually drawing parallels to real events in a lot of cases, it's it's become a way better series to me. I haven't quite finished it yet, but I'm very close. Yeah. I, I, um, I knew that it was like based on like, you know, original, um, uh, like, uh, I'd, I'd heard that like it had been a real thing actually, like after I'd started watching it, it was a weird thing. Like I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And then I saw that documentary and I haven't watched it yet, but I've wanted to, but since I started watching the show, I did read that it was like based on, on real events and they tried to, you know, work with the actual people from the real, you know, glow and, and get them involved in the process and, um, and whatnot. And, and that's awesome. But no, you're right. Mark Maron is so good in it. Alison Brie is just stunning. She's the brunette, right? Yeah. 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 And, and she doesn't even look like herself, you know, cause oh, wait, she was... that's the girl from community. Yes. Oh my God. I didn't put that together till just now. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so good. Okay, cool. Yeah, she, she was, she was <laughs> in community and she was on Mad Men. She was, yeah. uh, she was the, what's his face's wife on Mad Men. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, she she's a she, look. Can we just have a side second for a second? The girls from Community are both on really great Netflix shows. Yeah. Although love I have to and, say, the Glow last really season good. of Love, I I lost me. I still Did love it? her, but it. I don't know what happened. I I remember I was able to put my finger on it at the time, but I can't right now. Something lost me though. Maybe it it's got too real. It. Yeah, I was going to say it's very, very real. Yeah. I think I liked it when it was more Wes Anderson real. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, yes. 
they have both they have both achieved Netflix success, which these days is actually pretty successful. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I mean, at this point, that's like where you want to go. I'm proud of both of them. I'm like, hell yeah, girls. What has Hulu done lately? Um, Handmaid's Tale was their last thing. Oh, and, and the new in the new season of uh, what's you call it? Uh, Difficult People is out. Yes, I've been watching it. Me too. It's so good. <laughs> it and is. It, that it, show it has like, not j- lost me once. No, that show and that show in Broad City are for yep. me like my two favorites. Yep. Like 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 Broad City is one of those where for me I'm just like, yep, this is. I always, think they just got good. You're the Worst too. Like I yeah, think I they think have they season three now. Yeah, I think uh, you're the worst. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I uh, so that's that's the the original stuff on Hulu right now. A Mindy Project comes back. Um, Mindy and, lost me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the last season. I'm out um, on Mindy. Sorry. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it all the way through. There are a couple of other originals that look good. There's one with uh, um, Aaron Paul called The Path. Yes, looks- I do like The Path. I am. I am halfway through the current season of The Path. Or like the last published season. I like it. Yeah. So, and they and they've got some things coming out like they've got another Stephen King, JJ Abrams thing um coming that looks pretty good. Um and they have some like other like stuff at their at their upfronts. I saw their slate of stuff, you know, coming later and sure. it looks pretty good. So, I mean, it's not, you know, Netflix um yet, but they're trying. Yeah. And I do think for comedy, I think they're actually ahead of, of Netflix, like just with shows like difficult people. And, um, you know, like I guess that's really the only one, but I feel like difficult people is probably one of the funniest shows on TV. I agree. Even uh, though I, I, at I, feel, least I feel as like, far no as like just pure comedies. Go. That's what I mean. It's pure comedies. Like, and I feel like no one watches it or maybe I'm not sure what the viewership is like, but I, I don't get the sense that like it has a, a lot of, um, viewers clearly and, enough to to get renewed by hulu standards for a while yeah but i don't know what that means <laughs> this is true i don't know if anyone like, does that's what i'm saying like at this <laughs> point like I, I you know I, it could be kind of anything and I, it also it it's not an expensive show to make right you know like they 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 shoot at a couple of sound stages yeah. and and do a lot of walking shots in new york and that's it yep um like it's it, it, it's a pretty but, cheap hey, show walking shots with a huge inflatable rat Oh my god, I loved that so much. <laughs> that that's the only thing. Like watching that show, like I do, I like I miss I miss my city. I'm like, oh, I want to be, you know, back. Like, you know, because yeah, no, that because that is a real thing that you really would see in buildings. And like it was always one of those embarrassing things when you're in front of your building and the rat is there, and you're like, wait, we're not paying our cleaning people, or they're not in a union or whatever. Like it becomes one of those like really difficult kind of like moral quandary questions where you're like, huh, wow. You know, and they, you, you don't have any, like, what can you do, right? Like, you can't, like, not go to your office because the the leasing company that your company chose, you know, is not excellent. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I guess you could, but that isn't really, like, for most people, that's not really fungible. I don't know. Fungible. I haven't heard that word forever. Um. So what should be probably our final topic, mixing the last two topics together politics and television i know you've never been a huge fan of trevor noah on the daily show is that correct that is correct okay so i have finally i have finally conceded 
after the Antifa segment a couple nights ago, I'm done. Like, I I don't care how people feel about Antifa. I think it's a, a an it's up for debate. There's a yeah. lot to be said and a lot to be thought. But he basically sold a story, and we'll say the writers along with him sold a story by using Fox News clips as if they were legit interviews. And that to me is absolutely antithetical to any reason why I would watch The Daily Show. I don't watch The Daily Show to get my news these days. Like, I actually get real news these days. I I watch it because I enjoy a certain amount of comedy versus anger. Yeah. Like, make it funny. Like, take something that I am angry about and make it funny. Yeah, and like, instead... I actually... Yeah, like, I actually thought that... I know that she got criticism from a lot of people, including many of my friends. I, I disagree with it, although I can understand why they might not have liked it. But I thought the Tina Fey cake bit on SNL, I thought that was brilliant. I did, too. And it's kind of gone the way of the whole snowflake thing. Yeah. Like, it's become, like, just eat sheet cake shithead kind of thing. Um... That's all fine and good. I did enjoy that. And also, I consider Seth Meyers to be the new Daily Show now. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that 100%. I mean, it's between him and, and, and um, um, you know, um, um, what's, what's his face? Uh, John Oliver. Right. Well, see, the difference being John Oliver's on once a week. That's true. That, okay, fair and enough. And so, enough. therefore, he cannot be the Daily Show. Seth yeah, Meyers is Seth doing Myers a is... way better job of adding yeah. comedy to real news. No, you're dead on. Like he's he's like, and and I'm 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 sorry that like you had to you know come to where I've been with Trevor Noah basically from the beginning. But I'm with you. I feel like the stuff that's happening right now is too important. That humor, I think, is is a really important weapon, right? And right. I, I just I I can't abide by people who, in my opinion, are not doing a good job with the humor or with, um, frankly, always understanding the politics. Well, in that that story on Antifa basically mirrored the idea that uh, the Antifa and that the left wing extremists are terrorists more so yep. than the alt right, and that is the current talking point for the alt right for Fox News and a growing portion of the media. This idea that. Uh, that there are equivalencies. Yeah, I was going to say that you know, that's the both big thing. Sides. Is they, I was going to say that's the big thing is that they have this really, um, I think, harmful notion of false equivalency, um, and 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 it it does the media. Some of the media does it under the guise of giving both sides, and it's like no one side. Not saying that both that one is good and one is evil, right? Because I, I think Antifa, there are there are layers within that movement that you can critique and sure. you can and, and, absolutely. And, and, you know what I mean? And, and you, you, you can question some of the methods and you can question some of the, the other things happening around it. But it is not they are not on the same level, you know, no, no matter what's happening around. It, 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 and I honestly feel the same way anytime anyone has ever compared the Black Panthers and the KKK because they're very different groups. Now, that's not to say that the Black Panthers, not to be confused with the new Black Panthers, which is actually a different but unrelated movement, didn't do some things that were arguably like indefensible right like there were some you know violence you know things committed and 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 whatnot and, and some bad stuff went down but 
the re- reason for their existence, the reason that they you know, were fighting and the reason that they were going the, the direction they did and the reason that the KKK exists and what they were doing are very different things. And, and, you know, I, I don't think like, so it always bothers me when people try to like create equivalencies in that way. It's like, no, you know, one is literally a hate group that would go to churches and people's homes and burn, you know, burn them down and, and, and hang people, you know, and, and, and one was trying to fight a systematic oppression, maybe in a way that you don't think, you know, that, that you can argue could have been done with less violence or with less, you know, something else. But but they're not equivalent. And I kind of I feel the same way about, you know, the alt right in Antifa because and, 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 you know, obviously the actual Nazis who were doing that stuff, you know, they claim the alt right and the alt right doesn't do anything to disclaim them. You there know? was a great article on Clickhole. <laughs> like, I think it was yesterday. It was uh, I'm an alt right nationalist who's quite uh quite upset that Antifa is getting the badge of terrorist when we've worked so long and hard to get that. Um, or fascist, not terrorist, fascist. Um, it, it's, it's drawing an equivalency between someone who wants to stop people who want to deport and destroy and possibly even kill everyone who's non-white and someone who wants to deport and kill people who are non-white. Like there is, yeah. <laughs> it's not a moral equivalency. Wanting to stop fascism is not the same as being a fascist. Exactly. That that you, you've encapsulated perfectly. I mean, our one country, is... our free speech cannot tolerate hate speech. It cannot tolerate fascist fascist speech because if you tolerate fascist speech, you don't get any speech anymore. Right. Because what happens is that it will drown. It it, it will it will eradicate anything else. Yeah. And therefore, I, the reason I'm not anti Antifa in general. I mean, A, that's where I came from. That's what I was, basically. I was black, black anarchist for years. Um, I do not think that being the first to throw a punch at a rally right now is a great idea. Right, I agree with you. But I also think that there comes a point before, before fascism takes power that it has to be suppressed with violence. And... I'm sorry to everyone who wants to talk this out right now, but there will come a time where Antifa is, you know, the hero. I yeah. like right now, honestly, I have a lot of qualms with what they're doing. I, I don't think that causing armed feuds in the middle of otherwise peaceful and legal protests is a legitimate as a legitimate way to go about this. But I, I do see, I do see a place for them. Should this move on to another stage? Yeah, no, I agree. With, I agree with everything you said. Cause I, I'm with you. I don't like shutting down like legal speech and, and that is different from hate speech. There can be legal speech that is being said that you don't agree with. And I'm actually really against using, you know, shutting that down, but, and, and so some of those tactics there, but I'm also with you in that, like, I do think, yeah, I think there, they will eventually be, um, there will be a place. And I also think that even even if there wasn't a place, and I think there will be, trying to, to draw the, the equivalency, as you said perfectly, like one is fascist, one is fighting fascism. You can't say they're the same thing. Well, and their current tactics have created an atmosphere where even a formerly liberal bastion like The Daily Show has to uh, criticize them. 
Although I do wonder if even if I think regardless of their tactics, there would have been people trying to find equivalencies. Their I, I tactics agree. haven't helped the argument. Well, and honestly, but I think even without that, a lot of a lot of the incidents that have happened have been overblown, given that both sides are technically there's no head, you know, like everyone's right. acting independently. Right. Uh, yeah, no, you see that. Yeah, I mean, it's anarchist yeah, versus you, you, libertarian at this point. Right. I mean, we saw that a lot with the, the, you know, the Occupy movement where it was kind of a similar thing, I think, in that, you know, and, and the Occupy movement in, in some ways kind of paralleled the, the Tea Party movement. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and, and they were, but in, in both cases, there weren't really leaders. There were just kind of factions and, and things like that. And both pretty close on the um, political horseshoe. Yeah. 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 But it's not terror. Like the the DOJ, I was it the DOJ, want, some federal law enforcement agency has officially declared Antifa as uh, domestic terrorists internally, anyway. And that to me, and that to me is that, that 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 that's that's beyond. They are not. No, they're not. They're not terrorists at all. They're and, fighting and for a clearly defined that, goal, if anything, and exactly. they're not using. They're not doing mass bombings. Yeah. No, they're they're not doing that, and they're they're. Uh, it's like you might not agree with with the way they're choosing to engage, but they're not terrorists. And I think calling them that is a you know really dangerous. Um, you know by by you know painting people and and, and giving them that stigma. But I also think it undermines what real terrorism is. And, and, and when people start to kind of roll their eyes at definitions of terrorism, because they're like, oh, well, they even call the Antifa guys terrorists. Then when you see real stuff happening, which, you know, like, like Timothy McVeigh sort of stuff. Yeah. Then people will again, like ignore it because, oh, well, you know, they just call anything that these days. Well, and or it just any of the mass the shootings that, that have happened in forever Precisely. Now. Yeah. Right. That's terrorism. But we don't call it that. You know, we have other things instead. Like it, it almost feels like, Mental you know, illness. all, all. Exactly. It's like, well, all, all you end up doing is, is, um, you know, like by, by, by calling Antifa terrorists, really what they're doing is they're reinforcing the notion that the only people who can be terrorists are, are, you know, brown people from the Middle East. Obviously. White guys can't be terrorists. They're just crazy. What? All right. Well, hey, we just did like a two hour episode. We did. That's awesome, though. Yeah, it was really I, good talking to you again. Maybe I should split it up, and it was good talking to you too. I've missed. Yeah, you, maybe. Christina. Yeah, maybe. I've missed you, Brett. Yeah, maybe we split it up. I don't know how we'll do that though, because like we won't. This is going out as a, yeah. a bonus. Welcome back, episode seventy-one, start of a new era. It'll be awesome. Fantastic. All right. Well, hey, Christina, get some sleep. Yeah, you get some sleep too, buddy. We'll see everybody as soon as we possibly can. <laughs> yeah, no promises on the schedule. We will get a schedule at some point. Absolutely. All right, bye. The system is going down low.